We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple and pray the following message speaks to your heart. Let us open our Bibles this morning to the 16th chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 16. In this chapter, we're going to read and learn the story of the birth of Ishmael. The birth of Ishmael and the story of Hagar. Of course, we're still talking about Abraham. We're going to read the first six verses to begin with, where we see the human method and reasoning of doing things. This is what the Word of God says. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go to my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went, to, went in to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now we see and we learn here from this story, we can very clearly see that in spite of God's promise and in spite of Abram's faith, he still had to wait many years before Isaac would be born. He had promised that he would make him a father of many nations at the age of 75. And Sarah was 65. And now 10 years have gone by, and no heir yet, no, no child, no boy, no son. We see here that God chose to wait until it would be humanly impossible for Abram and Sarai to have children. The Lord's ways are very different from our ways, and we're told that in the book of Isaiah. Sometimes the Lord will wait until we deplete all our forces and resources before he acts. In this case, he had promised, promised him a son, but now both of them are beyond the age of being able to conceive and have children. And God waited on purpose for that. So when God takes a long time, don't despair. 
okay? We have the tendency to jump the gun. We have the tendency to want to see things done our way. Don't do that. Wait on the Lord, and you'll renew your strength. Here we see that having had to wait so long and realizing that they were getting past the age of being able to conceive children, or rather they had already passed the age of conceiving children, they decided to do something themselves to um, help God in this situation. Never try to help God. He doesn't need your help, first of all. And secondly, he knows what to do and why and when. The book of Isaiah asks the question, who has been his counselor from the beginning? Who has told him what to do? It's foolish to even think that. It is very common, though, for believers like us to act this way. God is taking a long time. You know, we Greeks have a saying that says, I want a bride, I want it now. In other words, no patience. Believers many times act this way, that is, to take matters into our own hands and not to wait for God to do the things that he needs to do in his own good time. After all, we must do, quote-unquote, our part, don't we? We must act before he acts. After all, doesn't God tell us to be doers and not just hearers? Only that that's not the case in this case. And that's when we come up with various plans and ways to get things done, only to realize in the end that we do more harm than good. I'm always reminded of the example of a rose. You see a tulip of a rose, a little, you know, bud? Wait for the flower to open on its own. Don't help it. Because if you help the flower, you're going to ruin it. Certain things, we must leave them alone and allow God to do what he has to do. When we force things and we want to do things our way, in our time, according to our own wisdom, we damage things. In this chapter, we have a story that makes it evident or makes evident the fact that both Abraham and Sarai acted deficiently, using a bad method to achieve a good purpose. Sarai's faith weakened first, and not being able to bear the, her barrenness any longer, because back then, and in that culture, it was not like it is nowadays. If a woman cannot have a child, well, cannot have a child, worst case scenario, can always adopt one. But it wasn't so in the Middle East in those times. And even probably today, it's the same thing. Not to be able to bear children was a reproach. And that didn't change in 2,000 years because Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, had the same problem. She was barren, and when Mary, her cousin, came to visit her, she says, in my old age, the Lord has taken away my reproach. 
What a reproach. The reproach of not being able to bear a child. Okay? So that was a serious situation back then. And uh, so we see that she weakens, her faith is weakened, and uh, uh, she tells her husband to go into her maid to bear children for her. And Abram agrees. Now, a lot of people are very ignorant and they're very unkind to Abram and Sarai. They did not commit adultery. Okay? And Sarai, being a woman of position, did not incite her husband to go ahead and commit adultery. That was not the reason, the, mor the motive behind it. Okay? Taking, uh, bear in mind that by this time, Abram was 85 years old and Sarai was 75. Their reasoning was a carnal reasoning, to be sure. But it, it was not a spiritual reasoning. God's purposes are not accomplished through carnal reasonings, but spiritual ones. Abram and Sarai used a carnal method when they proceeded according to worldly customs. They believed God's promise, but did not wait on him and they rushed, something that would produce grave consequences later on. What does it say in the book of Proverbs? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, not with half your heart. Don't take matters in your own hands, as it were. Okay? What did the Lord tell the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul wanted to have that thorn in the flesh removed. And what did the Lord say to him? My grace is sufficient. I'm not going to do that. I'm gonna, you, you're going to keep the thorn. And the Apostle Paul realized that the Lord allowed that in his life to keep him humble. Because of the multitude of visions and revelations he had seen. The Lord was telling him in, certain, in a certain way... Don't forget that you are nothing but clay. And that's why he changed his name from Saul to Paul. Because Pavlos in Greek means little man. We cannot, like I said before, accuse Abram and Sarai of resorting to polygamy. Having waited 10 years since their arrival in the land, they came up with a method they thought would be the correct one to be able to have a son. Prominent people at that time would make use of this method. It was common. Okay? When a wife could not bear children, or a prominent woman could not bear children, many times they had children through their maids, and they, at birth, they took the child and raised them as their own. Which reminds me, remember Moses? His mother gave him up, hid them because she was afraid. You know, she didn't want the Pharaoh to know, so the child would not be killed. And who found him? Pharaoh's sister. 
and she took the child and raised him as her own child. Now that happened in homes in the Middle East. It was when prominent people would make use of this method. But God fulfills his promises and his promise of the seed was made according to his grace, not by man's methods. No matter what the motive, if that had been God's will to provide the son for Abram and Sarai, the consequences that existed afterwards would not have existed. Which consequences we are seeing even today, 4,000 years later. What a blunder our father Abraham committed. No matter what their motives might have been in doing this, it was bound to create problems because God's purpose included only a monogamous marriage. What does that mean? The marriage of one man and one woman, not one man and ten women or ten men and one woman. When God created man, it was Adam and Eve. And in case somebody comes to you and tells you, I don't believe in Adam and Eve. You know what, do you know what Adam and Eve mean in Hebrew? It means man and woman. So when somebody says to you, I don't believe in Adam and Eve, what they're telling you is I don't believe in man or woman. Well, nowadays we know that that's true too. It's not a man or woman, it's a it or a they. If that isn't demonic, I don't know what is. Now the thing is this, we have examples of polygamous marriages in the Bible, don't we? Just to, may, to, to mention the king of polygamy, Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. How interesting that he became such a fool. And that's why he wrote in the Proverbs, it is better to dwell in the rooftop than with a contentious woman in a wide house. He had plenty of experience. He had 1,000 drips. That's why the Bedouins, who have up to four wives, even to this day, when you travel through the desert of Judea in Israel, and you see tents out there, you know, because they are nomadic people still, um, you know that how many wives this guy has by the amount of tents he has because he puts one wife in each tent because you know what would happen if there are two women in the same tent? As a matter of fact, I understand that the uh, flag, the war flag for South Korea is two women exchanging swords, sword, sword fighting under one roof. That's the, 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 the flag of war for South Korea. Um, and listen, we don't need to go too far. How many cases don't we have where you have a mother and a daughter-in-law in the same house? Or a mother and a daughter? When they're married, that is. It's called in Greek, bomba atomica. That's why we, I heard Dominican people have this saying, El casado casa quiere. And it's true. And that's how it should be. Okay? But here we see that um, no matter what their motives were, and I'm sure that Abraham and Sarai's motives were great, 
but it was bound to create problems. We have examples, like I said, of polygamous marriages in the Bible, not only Solomon, but David, and Elkanah, Samuel's father, was married, had two wives. Jacob had two wives and two concubines, <coughs> and we all know the story of that, okay? But do you know, even though we have examples of polygamous marriages in the Bible, we don't have one happy example of a polygamous marriage? Look what happened to David. His house was divided. Why? Because he had children by different wives. And what did they do? They fought one another. Okay? Because that is not God's design. The result of this wrong decision was that Hagar the slave, after she conceived, despised her mistress. There is a slave, and here is the mistress. And after she conceived, she had something that the mistress lacked. So what did she do? What did she do? Typical. I have a child. You don't. I am fertile. You are barren. He loves me more than he loves you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay? She despised her mistress when she conceived. And what did this cause? It caused great bitterness in Sarai. She blames now Abram for this. Isn't that typical? She's the one who incited the whole thing, and now she blames him. It's your fault that this happened. And he responds by giving his wife freedom to do whatever she wants with her maid, using her right as a mistress. Do whatever you want. He acted, I, I believe he acted pretty spiritually, and she didn't. Okay? They all share, though, in the guilt for this action. Now, those were human methods. Now, from verse 7 to the 14th, we're going to see the divine method. Look at what it says in verse 7. Now, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring, that is Hagar, okay? By a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from? And where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they should not be counted for multitude, or shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also been seen him who sees me? 
Therefore, the well was called Be'er Lahai Roy. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. Now, in this section, we see the Lord's compassion in spite of man's blunder. Hagar fled from man, but was found by the Lord. Because if you ask me, out of the three of them, she was the most, the most innocent. Or, the, or I should say the less guilty. She was perhaps the less guilty than the others in this sad, sad situation. Hagar speaks though the truth. She's fleeing from her mistress. Now the Lord is asking, where are you coming from? Didn't the Lord know where she was coming from? Of course he did. Many times God asks questions to see what we're going to say. Or I should say for us, all of us now who are reading these things, to know how they reacted. So he, uh, she speaks the truth. She was fleeing from her mistress. And God's instruction to her is that she return and submit to her mistress. I wish more psychologists would read this verse. Nowadays it's, oh, it's not your fault. It's your teacher that caused the trauma, or your father, or your mother. While it is true that some people can influence us in a very negative way, let us not blame others all the time. Let us assume some responsibility, okay, and solve the problems where they occur. Don't flee from your problems. If you live in New York and you have a problem, if you take a plane and go to Moscow, when you get there, you're going to have the same problems there. And if you come back to New York, your problem is going to st still be waiting for you here. Problems are not solved that way. People flee from problems. Problems must be faced and dealt with according to God's ways, not our ways. The Lord says, go back to where the problem started and solve the problem right there where it happened. Some people change churches. They have problems in one church, they go to another church. When somebody comes to our church from some other church, I ask where they come from, most of the time. And if I know there is a problem, I tell them, go back to your church and solve the problem. I don't want you bringing that problem here. Because if they cause problems in another church, they're going to cause it here too. Like it, it happened. Okay? So you live and learn. But the Lord's way is to go back to where the problem occurred and solve it right there. And that goes for churches, and it goes for homes, it goes for jobs, at work, anywhere. Face the problem. The Lord even tells us not to let the sun go down on our wrath. Especially when we live with somebody, husband and wife, father and children, mother and children. Face the problem before you go to sleep. Don't go to sleep with the problem unsolved, because then tomorrow it's going to be a bigger problem. Okay? So here we see um, the only way to correct the wrong is to face it and do it from uh, where the problem occurred. Never flee from it. Now, this is the first time the phrase, the angel of the Lord, occurs in the Bible. And the uh, context, according to the verse 13 indicates that this angel was indeed God himself. Okay? That is another pre-incarnate appearance of the Messiah. 
Then the Lord gives her a great promise. He would greatly multiply her descendants through the son that would be born, whose name would be Ishmael, which means God will hear. This shows God's grace to Hagar. He is interested in every individual, and though this union had not been according to God's will, he still is gracious to her and to her son. He even gives her the name for him, Ishmael, God hears. This is the father of all the Ishmaelites, that is, all the Arabs. All the Arab peoples descend from Ishmael. Just like all the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, descend from Isaac. So we see here, the Lord reveals to Hagar the character of this son. Amazing, isn't it? The Lord knows, even before he's born, how he's, how he's going to be. And how is he going to be? A wild man. Hmm? Aggressive. Which is characteristic of the Arab people even today. And I'm not being prejudiced here. I'm not being racist or whatever they, you know, people call you these days. I'm just stating the fact. And all we have to do is look at the news and see what happens. Now Hagar worships God, recognizing he sees everything, and she calls him El Roy. For this reason, the well is called well of the living one who sees me. Hagar no honors God, giving the name to the well as a memorial of her encounter with God in this place. Interesting, right? She was an Egyptian, but she did not worship the idols of Egypt. Or if she did in the past, now she, she does it no longer. And where did she come from? Probably Abram and Sarai got her when they went down to Egypt. And they brought it back to the land of Canaan with them. Okay? So we see here at the last two verses of the chapter, the birth of Ishmael. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram named his son whom Hagar bore. Look now how the text underlines that. Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Hagar obeyed and returned to her mistress, returned to Sarai. And Abram obeyed with respect to the name of the son. He called him Ishmael. And Ishmael is born. And the text tells us that Abram was 86 years old at that point. Now, there's a reason why God stresses a point. To show us that he is the God of the impossible. If he was 86, Sarai was 76. And you know what? Still no son. Because the Lord tells them it's not Ishmael. And we're going to see that a couple of chapters later. That means that he was already in the land for 11 years and still no promise. We see the grace of God demonstrated in view of human failure. And what happens here? 
his, in spite of the failure of man, the pact that he made or the covenant that he made with Abraham is preserved. Because if he had allowed the, the, the son to be born, that, that was born to be the heir, he would have, the Lord would have violated his own covenant. And God doesn't do that. As impossible as the situation might seem many times, God will fulfill his promise. You can rest assured of that. His yes is yes, and his no is no. So when he promised something, he will do it. It might take a long time. And the Lord does not work according to our schedule. He works according to his schedule. Things happen in his own good time. And many times they don't happen the way that we expect it to happen. They, but they happen the way he wants them to happen. And he might change our hearts. Almost definitely would change our hearts. To see it his way, not our way. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ gave us a tremendous example in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Father, if only this cup could pass from me. But not as I will, but as you will. Your will be done. He gave us that example. And we need to learn to do things God's way, not our way. The blunder that Abram and Sarai committed is costing lives to this day. And don't you dare believe any politician that tells you that there's going to be peace in the Middle East. If there is any peace in the Middle East, it's going to be temporary. Like it has been since <laughs> the state of Israel was reborn. Why? Because the only one that's going to achieve peace, not only in the Middle East, but in, indeed in the whole world, is the Prince of Peace. And who is the Prince of Peace? The Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting that after his resurrection, when he appeared to the disciples in the upper room, what did he say? Peace. That was his first word, peace. And that peace, the world does not know of. Only believers know that peace, that, if, who, that even in the midst of the worst troubles around us, we can have that inner peace that passes all human understanding. Now, interesting to, for us to know that that promise is a conditional promise. Because some people like to quote the second verse, not the first one. Oh, I have the peace of God. God is going to give me his peace that passes all understanding. No, no. There is, a, there is a way that you're going to get that. How? Be anxious for nothing. Now, I know that I'm talking through my hat. Nobody in this church ever gets anxious or worried. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplications make your requests known unto God. And then it says, 
and the peace, <coughs> excuse me, of God that passes all understanding shall keep your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. There is a condition. First, you don't worry. And secondly, you bring all your requests to the Lord. And don't pray like what many of us do. We pray, we bring the requests before the Lord, and we say, Oh Lord, I'm going to leave this at the foot of your cross. And then what we do, we get up and pick up the problem back and take it back with us. No, no, no. The, the idea is to leave it there and not take it back. Okay? We all need to learn that. And I know it's against the grain. I know it doesn't come naturally. But we have to do it. By his strength, not ours. If Abram and Sarai had only waited another 14 years, a lot of the problems that have been happening throughout the centuries would not have happened. But this is, the Lord allowed this to happen as a demonstration of what happens when we do things like Frank Sinatra, our way. Remember that song? I did it my way. I always say, beautiful song. Frank Sinatra had a beautiful voice. Beautiful song, wrong message. It's not my way, it's his way. Every time I do things my way, I blow it. Every time I do things his way. That's when things work out. I was talking to somebody, and I said that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. How much heart? All. And lean not unto your own understanding. Oh, I know better. No, you don't. I don't. He does. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. You want things solved in your life? Do it his way. Trust him. Don't stick your hands in the dough. You'll mess up the cake. Let God do, and you let go. And if something doesn't happen the way you expected it, well, you know what? It wasn't God's will. I know of a couple of people from the other church many years ago, before the flood. And they were good people. And they still are, I'm sure. They're still alive. But... They were kind of worried of remaining single. And so they started dating. And, you know, and what is dating for? Dating is for you to get to know the other person. Well, lo and behold, they went to the pastor. He counseled them, advised them. They got married. And they even had children, two children. But I knew, because I was very close to the wife. She, she said to me, 
I, I found out, I mean, I knew that she was sorry she had married him. And of course, what do you do now? Like we say in Spanish, lo hecho, hecho está, right? She wasn't happy. Because I could tell that he was not what he should be. But again, nobody is. But there are certain basic things that a, a man must have in order to be a leader in his home, and he was not. And I could tell she was very unhappy. And all the time I was at the church there, they were still together. Many years went by, we, you know, after we began this church, many years after we began this church, one day that person came to visit here, the wife that is. And I said to her, how is your husband? Oh, he's okay. That's all she said. Then I found out they were divorced. And she was dating somebody else. And she was a faithful believer. But she made a blunder. And she was ill-advised. If it is the wrong kind of person, and I always ask this to young people, if they get start dating, I ask them, is your mother and father in favor of this relationship? If they say no, I said, then there's nothing else to say. I am not marrying you. Because when it is God's will, parents are in agreement. Everybody's in agreement. And if the other one is not say, I have seen this too, <laughs> especially with guys. There's a girl, faithful a girl in the church, and here comes this guy from the outside. They met him somewhere. They bring him to church. And he gets saved. And he gets baptized. And he becomes a member. And then they get married. And then he disappears. When you date somebody, and I'm talking to some, you know, the young people here in the future, you date somebody, make sure they st they're able to stand with, with the Lord on their own. If they have to wait for you to drag them to church, that's not the person God wants you to marry. Because as soon as you get married, the true colors are going to come out. Because they got what they wanted. That's all. Oh, but that's hard. Yeah, but it's harder when you make a mistake because then you cannot correct it. So if you're dating a girl, your guys, or you boy, you uh, girls are dating a guy, make sure that that guy or that girl are either faithfully in the church or coming to this church here faithfully before you even consider anything further. Otherwise, you're going to make a blunder like Abraham and Sarah. What's the lesson in this chapter? You do things your way, not God's way. You're going to suffer the consequences, and there's no going back. If you lose your arm in an accident, even if you get saved afterwards, that doesn't mean you're going to grow a, a hand. You're going to remain without a hand for the rest of your life. 
there are certain things that are consequences. They bring consequences. Look at King David. Look at the consequences in his life. He did things the wrong way. He sinned against the Lord. And God forgave him, didn't he? But judgment fell anyway. Because there are consequences. So do yourself a favor and do things right. If you're going to serve the Lord, honor him with your life. Make sure that the partner you choose for your life also honors the Lord on his or her own. Otherwise, you're going to be driving a car with a flat tire the rest of your life. And uh, we, listen, we don't have few examples, even in this church throughout the years, of people who made mistakes. But that's a very serious mistake to make. That's why it's better to be alone than in bad company. As we say in Greek, mejor solo que mal acompañado. Right? It is true. Listen, after all, if you are a Christian, you are never alone. Like the song says, I never walk alone. He walks beside me. And some people look at me with a pity. Oh, Pastor Alice. We thank you for listening to this message and pray that the Word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www.cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.